0: So I'm going to pray for our time in the Word here, and then uh, jump right in, so if you'd join me. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to look at Scripture, just to be challenged by it, encouraged uh, by it, built up by it. Um, God, something so simple that we take for granted so often is the revelation of your Word, how you've just laid so much wisdom and truth um, into our hands. And so, God, we thank you for it this morning, and just welcome Holy Spirit uh, here to speak through. Uh, my words, and may they not be my words, but yours, Lord, to strengthen and encourage our hearts this morning. Um, thank you for the truth of your word, and apply it to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, speaking of things that we kind of like take for granted, but are a very integral part of our lives, passwords. Anyone have a, anyone have a password they have to remember? Could you imagine, like, okay, people who, you know, knew a life that didn't have AOL in it ever, right? (laughs) Like, did you ever have any interaction, right? That's all gone, too, right? I know. Like, okay, some of you younger never had any AOL in your life either, and you don't know what I'm even talking about. But some of you other people, AOL is like... That's when internet started for us, right? When you're, like, getting into understanding that that exists. Um, But before that, like, what kind of interaction did you ever have with passwords, right? Like, maybe was there, like, some game show called Password? That's bad. Like, that's, like, it, right? (laughs) Like, like, you didn't worry about having a password hardly ever unless you were watching, like, a spy movie and you needed to remember what spy was going to use what password. It was, like, passwords were not so big of a deal, But today, if you don't know your password, it's over. I mean, you might as well just stop. (laughs) Like, the resets, the, you know, the uh, verification of your identity, like, all this stuff that has to happen for you to, like, regain access to something you've lost your password for, not good. Um... And it's so simple, right? And it's become even simpler, like, I don't know, some of the, the means, the two-way authentication stuff and, like, whatever they've come up with to help us remember our passwords and verify our identities and all that kind of thing, uh, moving in some certain direction. Um, they're a big part of our life. I mean, you have to have some way to manage your passwords. And the password has to be, like, in some cases, the right length, the right number of characters. It has to have, like, that special character in it now. It can't be some phrase that's common. Like, all these rules around what kind of password... You have to have, and then you've got to remember it and I interacted with this recently like uh, you know if you you know if you're thinking about this is long term thinking, but like if you're thinking about like planning for life beyond yourself, you know you've got accounts and things you've got to like pass that on somehow passwords to all your stuff you know it used to be like my Security box is here at this bank, and that's everything you need to know is right there. And that, but now it's like I need you know, my my online banking account, my investment account, my you know my password to my utility, whatever it is. You gotta have these passwords to get you through what's happening. And so, you know, as we've gone through the beginning of Deuteronomy, um, I feel like like uh, a broken record in some ways, but but I'm literally just telling you what Moses is saying, the Bible's really important. (laughs) Like, like, over and over again, this whole first part of Deuteronomy, it's like Moses keeps hitting us over the head with, hey, you should probably remember this. It's really important that you remember this. And when you're done remembering this, maybe you should figure out how you're going to still remember it after that. And so today is another one of those. Uh, Chapter 6 is again... Uh, Moses on the whole like telling us remember what I have said to you and and even more importantly what I've said to you remember who God is remember who he is and so we're gonna look at three uh, things Uh, I don't usually have such a three-point outline but sometimes it happens um The Lord is describing to us in this passage, chapter 6, that we need to love God, that we need to remember God, and that we need to teach about God. See ya. Um, Love God, remember God, and teach of God. These three things... Are throughout chapter six, and I'm going to start in the middle, uh, verses four through nine. This uh, section of scripture is actually called the Shema, which is Shema is just hear, hear this. And so this refrain is taught all through uh, Jewish homes growing up. Everyone knows this this portion of scripture for sure. All yeah, all yeah, all the people know their heritage. So well, right, Jose? Quevedo, really, really, really. the Jewish man. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, Jose found one sixteenth of bloodline of of, of, <laughs> of Judaism. Maybe a maybe a sixteenth. We're hoping. I don't know. Thirty second. Half. What is this? Half. Where are we? Half. <laughs> wow. Half. All right. All right. All right. We're not sure. We have our doubts, all right. Anyway, but he doesn't, so that's good. So, so Jose, as as he should, as a proper Jew, is going to uh, recite the Shema for us. And yeah, yeah, uh, that works. Yeah, I think that might be Matthew's version, but yeah, but yeah, that's fine. That's pretty good. Maybe he is Jewish. He two thirds of his heritage. That's pretty good. All right, now we know the fraction. <laughs> <You're> two thirds. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're back, back on point here. All right. Um, right in the middle of this, it, it said that this is communicating, this Shema is communicating the very spirit and heart of the whole law, like all of it is wrapped up in this. And even when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he gives as a response. This in the, the uh, connected piece from Leviticus, I think it's uh, 10, somewhere 10 or, 10 or 16, one of those, um, <laughs> where it says, also love your neighbor as you love yourself. But this is what he says, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might." God wants us to love him. And it's weird, you know, um, John Piper did a teaching on this a long time ago about how God is the only one that's really allowed to boast in himself. Like, typically we think about boasting and pride as a negative trait. Like, humanly speaking, if I'm boasting about myself, that's not something I probably ought to do feels like a negative thing, right? But for God, being God, it's actually the exact opposite for him. He's the creator of all things. He can't escape his own identity in that. And so the most cherished and treasured thing he can tell us is that we ought to love him. Not, not because he's trying to like gain you know, more for himself. He is fully sufficient. He's just telling you that I'm the creator of the universe, And the most valuable thing that you can know and do is to love me. All your heart. This is the command of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With all that you are. Love me. And again, it feels weird for someone to ask us, to actually command us that that is what you should do, right? Like, could you see that happening in any other relational context ever, right? Love me, you know? You need to love me. Like, that would be a very weird thing. But for God, it is simply true. The the most changing life-changing thing that you could do is look on God and understand how much he loves you and seek to love him as well with all that you are he says it emphatically as you continue in verses six to nine and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontlets for your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Love me. Love me. I am the best thing there is for you. Love me. God commands us to love him. Only God can do this. He's perfect in all that he does. He's perfect in his love toward us, so he can easily command us to love him. This is the most valuable thing, the most important thing that you could possibly do is know that the Lord our God The Lord is one. He is unified within himself. He is fully sufficient. And the only source of life and knowledge and wisdom and truth is Him. And so He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. God tells to Israel, Hear, O Israel as he said a couple of times throughout the beginning of Deuteronomy, I am the only God. There is no other God but me. There is no other God to give your love and affection and admiration and uh, submission to but me. And so love me. And do these things that I say you ought to do. Not for the sake of doing them, but because I am the author of life. I have the manual. So trust me. God says to the people of Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Second, he says remember. He gives us some things to remember. And maybe it's helpful to us to remember so that we know again, like remind ourselves, what, why do I love this God? What is it about the character of this God that I love? Why is he worthy of my affection, of my trust? This is it. Verses 10 to 19. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all the good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has promised. He tells the people of Israel, I promised this land back to you hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And remember how you were nothing. I mean, the people of Israel were nothing. They were a group of 70 people that, you know, moved into Egypt at the uh, the divine providence of the Lord in itself and then grew to millions of people within the most powerful kingdom on the earth at that time and they were drawn out by the hand of God against all the other gods of Egypt by his power drawn out and became a nation themselves. Remember that the things he says remember all these things that you've inherited in this land that is beautiful you did not make them You didn't even build the things that are here. Other people built them before you were here. You didn't create this land that you were on. It was provided for you. Remember that the Lord gave you these things. If you read anything about... um, astrology or astronomy, like I was kinda looking for a good example of this, so I don't have a great example of this other than like Haley's comment is the one that comes to mind or whatever. But like when you think about like a lot of actually scientific discoveries, people put their name on these things, right? It's like Newton's Law. Right? As if Newton came up with the law. You know? No. He found out that this works. It's been existing forever, right? And we get and understand, hopefully, understand that you know Newton and Haley and all, all these people that things are named after aren't boasting in their own accomplishments, but they might be. But it's so humbling to think that God, from the beginning of time, set these things in motion as they are, and the things we're finding out in space and in in physics and in you know all these sorts of fields are only things we've just discovered that are in existence. They aren't things we came up with. We didn't come up with sand and dirt. We didn't come up with that. It was there. And so the same for for Israel. As they come into the land, God is saying, remember these houses? You didn't build these houses. They were given to you by me. Remember the things that the Lord has done. Remember what he has given you. You didn't get it by your own strength ever. None of us ever have. They've been given. Remember also that God provides exactly as you need. In verse 16, he says, You shall not put the Lord to the test as you tested him at Massa. And if you remember, Massa is the place where they cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, there's no water out here. I mean, I know we just came through the Red Sea, like all three million of us on dry land with parted water on both sides, and, you know, Pharaoh's army, like getting pummeled by water behind us. But, you know, we're on this other side, and there's no water here to drink. And it's so like us, right, to go through God providing for us in a miraculous and powerful way, and somehow we forget. They're like, He's got this still. And there they are in the desert, and they say, God, you've got three million people. You've got us out here to die. There's no water. They want to go back to Egypt. They literally are asking Moses to go back to Egypt after they've gone through the Red Sea. And so God says to him here, through Moses, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Remember how you tested him at Massa? And what happened? Moses hit a rock with a stick. And out of the rock flowed water enough to hydrate the entire people. Don't test the God who draws you out of the most powerful nation in the world by miracles and way-making and promise-keeping, <laughs> right? I was thinking about that as we were singing that song. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, right? Um, don't put him to the test. He's, he's given you these things to remember, this law that we're studying to remember Because he provides for you perfectly. He knows what you need. He knows what your soul needs, what your mind needs, what your body needs. So I love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all that you are. Give devotion to God. He is the provider of all that you need. Remember, all that we have is is things that have been given we're short-sighted if we think that we have built this wherever we're at in, you know, history and time, right? When we think about great discovery, right? When we think about right now, you know, who is pushing innovation and discovery the most right now? Who would you say? Musk, Musk right? You'd say Elon Musk. That guy's going to take us to Mars. Yeah, and that, like, it's impressive, It is impressive that you would have the desire to put that much thought and action into accomplishing something like that. But guess what? He didn't come up with launching rockets into space. That's been a development that's been working for, like, way before he was even existing. Like, all these things, these technologies, innovations, they stand on things that are before you. Right, Just from a human standpoint, you're, you're standing on something that is way before you. And so at the very least, you have to be humbled by the fact that you are a small piece of a huge group of people. And if you take that to the very end of the conclusion, you see the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you want to find the origin and satisfaction in life, then go to the Creator Himself. the most loving thing God can command us to do is to give our love and affection back to Him. It's the most satisfying and powerful thing. And the reason, He's given us reasons. He's given us things to remember and hang our hats on with that. He says, remember, you know, remember how I drew you out. Remember how I gave you this entire land like Jericho. Remember the walls, like, they're going to fall down. <laughs> you know, they don't know that yet because this is before they go in. But, Sorry out of the narrative. Um, But they're going to find out here soon that when they walk around Jericho, the walls are just going to fall over. So he says, remember when you get in the land and all these things are built that you didn't build, don't forget who gave them to you. And remember that God provides exactly as you need. Not as you want, exactly as you need. Finally, The whole of this text is wrapped in this concept that we have to teach these things, that it can't stop in us. You can't, like, come to an understanding of who God is and just keep it in. It's actually not possible, (laughs) like, if when God has changed you and done something in your life to really, like, keep it in. Somehow, He has gifted you with different abilities and capacities and uh, and ways to share what has happened to you with those that are around you. And for some, that may be through gifts of hospitality. Some people bring, like, whole trays of food every Sunday morning for people to enjoy and fellowship around. Some people do that every single week, and it's really good. Um, and some people watch people's kids, even though, you know, watching four kids is not, you know, exactly the thing they'd want to do on a, you know, an evening when maybe they could be working on their house and taking care of other things. This is what the family of God does. We share what God has done inside of us with those that are around us. It's not possible for us to keep in what God has done for us. It's not possible. If God has changed you, you want to share what he has done with you. And the specific command here to us is that we ought to be seeking how we ought to, or seeking how we can, share who God is and what He has done with our kids. That's the specific context. I mean, in, in the whole of it, we can't keep in what God has done for us, it's just not possible. And yeah, you might think about, okay, well, I, that means I should just be evangelizing. I should be out there like preaching on the streets. That's what how that is. And no, I'm telling you, God has given you each a different type of gifting. And to some people, yeah, He's given them a gifting of going out into the streets and telling people, giving them a gospel track or whatever it is. Like that might be someone's gifting. But for most of us, it's literally just serving each other the way God has served us. It's not possible for us to not teach what God has transformed us with, because it's so powerful. You and I both know. All of us know. If you've come to faith in Jesus, your life before Him was a wreck. It was messed up. It was there's nothing orderly to it. No purpose or direction in it, and you keep messing up because you're working your own strength. We've all been there. Every single one of us. I'm you know. If you came to Jesus, you came to recognition of that—that that you don't have any hope on your own. And when you come to Jesus, you start to realize, as the Spirit works in you, that He's got something for you to do. Some of us, it's to speak. Some of us, it's to serve. Some of us, it's to just show love. Whatever it is God has is flowing through you this truth of who He is. He is a God who gives you everything you need in the time that you need it. And so he says in uh, verses 1 to 3 and 16 to 25, teach your kids. Teach your kids who God is, the only God. Chapter 6, 1 to 3. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commands which I command you, all the days of your life, that it may go well, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing With milk and honey. Teach your kids about the Lord your God. This is the God who who has said to them already He is God, He is God alone, there is no other. Teach them of how this God has revealed Himself to you. Teach them of what he has done in your life. When we look at the context of Deuteronomy, we think about this question, obviously. um, Well, I mean, doesn't God care about the other nations around Israel? Why did he just choose Israel? Well, one reason is that he chose them because they were the weakest. (laughs) And to show his strength, he chose the weakest of the nations, to show his strength. You see, it it wasn't ever about, like, excluding the rest of the world. It was about showing the power of God to the world. And so often we think, oh, he just chose Israel. I guess everyone else is stuck. no. He chose Israel. That every nation around Israel would see and recognize the fact that there's no way those punks are going to get out of that land and take this one. No chance. And that's exactly what happened. As they come into Jericho, we're going to see when we get to uh, to see the story of Rahab. What's happening in Jericho is everyone is afraid of Israel. They shouldn't be afraid of Israel. They're the weakest nation in the world. And they become the strongest, not by their own might, but by the might of God. It was never about just choosing Israel to the exclusion of all other people. It was about choosing Israel so that the world would see the greatness and power of God. And so teach your kids, yeah, there's one God. And this is who he is. He is a God that would come down to the weakest and broken and hurting and transform them and change them not by their own strength, but by his strength. And so he says in verses uh, 20 and following at the end of the passage, teach your kids what God has done, that he has saved you. Verse 20. So when your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in. And give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. There's so much good (laughs) in that statement that he tells us to teach our kids. My God is a God who saved me out of slavery. I was enslaved to my own desires, my own flesh. And he came and said, there's something bigger and greater than what you desire, and it is me. And I love you so much that I'm going to actually take the penalty for you so that you can be with me. You deserve death, because of all that you've done and all that you will do. But I'm going to pay the penalty for you because I'm a righteous God, and I love you. So my righteousness has to be fulfilled. It can't be fulfilled in you because you're broken. I will fulfill it in my son, Jesus Christ. This is our story. It's the same story as the people of Israel. Israel was a nation caught in Egypt as slaves to Pharaoh, And the Lord showed how good he was, not that Israel could save themselves, but that God would go down to them and draw them out. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to our fathers. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That is who you are. The whole Testament is literally saying it. That's exactly what it's saying. When we reflect on how God drew out Israel, there was no way for them. They were up against a sea. They were literally boxed in. There was no way. God made a way. They were in the desert. They knew in the in the perception of it that they're in the desert and there's no water. Miracle worker. They were up into the promised land. They were about to go into the promised land, forty years before we're reading this text, you know, in the narrative back, sorry for the time jump. But like, here they are, 40 years ago, from this point in Scripture, they were right at the edge of the land. And that generation said, now those guys are too big. Let's not go in. God said, all right. You guys are going to wander for 40 years, and you were concerned about your kids going in with you to this land that I gave you, but guess what? It's going to be your kids that inherit this land. Because in spite of the fact that a whole generation of people rejected the land that I'm going to give you, I'm the promise keeper. And I'm still going to give this promise to the fathers that were before you, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I'm a promise keeper. That is who I am. So when we remember and teach who God is... It makes a lot more sense why God can come to us and say, listen, the most important thing that I can tell you to do in your entire life is love me. It's the most important thing I can tell you to do. Love me with all that you are. Understand my character, my faithfulness, my goodness, my compassion, my mercy, my jealousy for your heart and love me. Sounds like such a weird command for someone to say, This command I give you, love me. Makes a lot more sense when it's coming from God, who has perfectly treated you perfectly. We all know, um, especially parents. that it's a challenge and we resonate with God when we read things like this and we look at our kids and we long for them to come to know our God, to trust Him, to follow Him. It's a struggle. But it's one that God is on with you constantly He's going to be with us, me and my kids. He's going to be with John and Amber and their kids. He's going to be with Lisa and Justin and their kids. He's with us in this struggle. But know that God is the God that loves your kids, He's the way maker, He's the promise keeper. And so it's very hard to hear a proverb like Proverbs twenty-two six train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Because life is much more complicated than that proverb. But the reason that proverb is a proverb because there's a lot of truth to it. As your life continues to reflect the life of integrity, the life of one that loves the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, it forces our kids at some point in their life to make a decision. Do I trust what my parents trust in or do I not trust what my parents trust in? If we don't teach them anything, then they have nothing to decide upon. But if we will teach them and train them, and it's not just about memorizing and showing these things, it's about your life. It's about who you are. It's about what you trust in. They see it. And they will see it. And even years down the road, they're going to see it. God knows and loves our kids and he's calling us to trust him with them. To teach them all that we can and know that he loves them more than we love them. So train them up every day of your life. Continue to trust in this Lord who has provided for you at every step, at every turn, at every corner. Let there be no shadow of a doubt who it is you trust in, that they may know that your God is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, that your God is a light in the darkness. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are. We're grateful that... Um, more than just a precept or more than just a, a piece of knowledge or information. you are God who has interacted with your creation. Not in some passive sense, God. You, you walked with these people in Israel every day of their life. You knew when they were crying out and you provided for them faithfully every single time. And you show us in this people, Israel, that we as a people cannot do it on our own. It's not possible to do it. We can't fulfill this law. We've broken it already. We're breaking it maybe today, and we're going to break it. We're, just, we're broken, and we're in need of you, God. And we've seen that in Israel. We see it in our own hearts, and we know it. And so, God, may we be a people who knows who you are, that you are a God who would send his very son to live on this earth, to take on the penalty that we deserve, that we could be with you, our Father in heaven, that we could today even express your character and your nature and your love for us. We thank you so much for Jesus. If ever we could know the heart of God is that he would send his son to die for the world. That he would bear the penalty. That he would be our savior. He alone could do it and it should not be mistaken or missed that not only is he the only one that could do it but he also did it He could have not, but he did. He came to this earth, walked as a man, and died on a cross. That we might have life eternal with our creator in heaven. So God, I pray that you would give us the strength to worship you every day of our life. To love you with all our heart all our soul, and all our might.